it's great to see you this morning. I'm glad that you are here. We have a Celebrate Recovery group that meets every Tuesday at 7 o'clock. If you are interested, we are about helping people and making sure that people are able to to become what God has called them to be, to be free from their sins, free from their their past. And what we're wanting to do is we want to encourage you. If you are interested in just breaking some of the cycles of sin, it doesn't have to be extreme sin. It could just be mediocre sin. Even little sins need to be broken. And so we want to encourage you, if you need to get past some different things, we have a great group of men and women who are able to help walk you through some of the past hurts, some of the past failures, and exactly kind of some of the things that we're actually talking about in this series. Well, good morning. I'm glad you are here. If you have your Bible, 2 Kings chapter 22 is where we're going to be going today. 2 Kings chapter 22. Let's start off by asking a simple question. How many of you have ever been hurt? We should all be able to raise our hands on that one, shouldn't we? We've all been hurt. There have been times in our past where we've we faced pain and suffering. Now, the question becomes, what do we do with that pain and what do we do with those hurts? Do we maximize them? Do we do move forward, to move beyond? I um, heard an illustration this, this week about a... Uh, a, a professor. He was a seminary professor. He was teaching his seminary students how to, to prepare a message. And one of the things that he said that you have to do is that you have to have a very catchy title, a title that helps drive people into the, the church so that they want to hear what you're talking about. And so when the, the student handed in his paper, he had a very boring title. And so the professor said, nope, go back. You need to work on it. You need to have a catchy title, a title that helps drive people to come in, want to come to church. And so the seminary student asked the question, well, how do I do that? And the seminary professor said, here's how you do it. You need to start thinking about what it would take if somebody, a bus stopped outside of the church and your message title was up on the marquee, what would cause everybody to get off the bus and to come into church? And so the next day, the the student handed in his paper and on the top of the title, as the title, it said this, there's a bomb on your bus. All right, so he, he figured out how to maximize pain, didn't he? And bring it on in, get them into church. I am glad you were here. And as we talk about pain, as we talk about our personal hurts, here's the reality. If you're alive, you've experienced hurt. Maybe it's been a hurt that's caused you to say, I don't know if I can love ever again. I don't know if I can actually deal with that type of betrayal. Maybe you've been betrayed at a, at a deep, deep level. And it's caused you not to want to trust people. And you say, I can't trust the way I trusted before because it hurts too bad. It's too frustrating. I can't let myself, and the lights are flashing on and off, and so I don't know what's going on. Maybe God's spirit is here in this place. Man, the, the earth is shaking, right? Woo-hoo! Like, yeah, that'd be great. Anyway, so what we have going on is, is we have pain. And the question becomes, can we actually go beyond it? Do we want to go beyond it? For some of us, We've dealt with our pain in such a way we kind of held it back and we kind of like being mad and bitter. We like being frustrated. It actually gives us control so that we can be mad at everybody else. So that we can be mad at the person who hurts us and we try to get revenge and try to get even. And I know some of you are going, Heath, I don't really want to come talk at church about this. This is kind of you know frustrating to talk about. And I want to encourage you, you need to talk about it. You need to walk through this message. And even today, here's, what, here's, here's a challenge for you. Here's what some of you are going to do. You're going to hear me start talking about some of the things that we're going to have to do to walk through pain. And you're going to do a pushback and you say, I don't need that. I don't want to do that. And some of you will even say, Pastor Heath, you obviously don't know what I've gone through. Because you wouldn't be telling me that I need to get beyond it if you knew what I went through. 
If you knew how bad I was hurt, I've suffered such physical abuse. You, you wouldn't be able to tell me. I, I've suffered at the hands of family members, things that I should have never suffered. I've been abused. I've been beat. You, I, there's, Heath, you can't tell me to get, I hear you. I hear you. And here's, here's, I want you to hear my heart. You ready? You can get beyond it. Not on your own power. But what you need today, it's no accident that you're here in this place. God brought you here for this moment, for this time, to hear this message so that you can go beyond. So that you can get beyond the anger, the bitterness, and the past hurts. Because you have them. Everyone in this room has it. And we can sit here and we can tell sob stories and we can walk back and forth. And you're going, Heath, come on, you're, you're, you're not that old. How, how bad could you have ever been hurt? I have my hurts too. And we could sit here and we could trade the sob stories. And bottom line though, you ready? While I don't know what you've gone through, and you're right, I don't know the pain that you've had to endure. I do know a God who loves you and he wants to take you beyond because Jesus didn't die on the cross to leave you broken. He died to redeem you out of that brokenness. And today, today, instead of doing the pushback, I want you to lean in and I want you to experience what God has called you to experience. Second Kings chapter 22. You have your Bibles. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Second Kings chapter 22, verse one. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adaiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David, his father. Now that's several generations removed. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to this place We've sang, we've worshiped you, we've celebrated you and what you have done in your faithfulness. We even have given words through songs to express that our hearts are willing and ready to turn towards you. Now, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would invade this place. I'm asking for your power to be present. I pray that you would overshadow me that I would speak the words that you would have me to speak. I pray that you would give us the ears to hear so that we willingly receive your word today. And Heavenly Father, I pray that Jesus would be lifted high. And today I pray that we would have the courage to walk out of here a different people because we've heard from you. In Jesus' precious, precious name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. All right. Last year, as I was doing my Bible reading, I have a Bible reading plan that I consistently do where I read the Old Testament at least once during the year, the New Testament a couple times a year, um, the Psalms and Proverbs at least four times a year. And so part of my reading plan, as I was reading through last year, I came upon Josiah and I read his story again. It's not the first time that I've read his story, but as I sat there, there was a phrase that hit me. 
And it caused me to stop and caused me to think, and I had to walk back through it. And so I want to show you that because it sets the, the foundation for where we're needing to go today. If you would move into chapter 21, if you would, just a few verses earlier from where we just read. In 2 Kings chapter 21, I want to show you verse 23. 2 Kings 21, verse 23. Now, Amon was Josiah's father. He was a wicked king. We talked about last week. If you did not hear that story, I walked you through um, Josiah's father. I walked you through Josiah's grandfather and Josiah's great-grandfather so you could see the history and the lineage. Amon, his dad, was a ruthless king. He was a king that you would not want to have your son model his life after. He was a king who was evil, and his summation of his life was that he did evil, more wickedness than his father, Manasseh, did. And Josiah, we find in verse 23, here's what it says. And the servants of Amon, that's the king, conspired against him and put the king to death in his house. And the people of the land struck down all those who had conspired against King Amon. And the people of the land made Josiah, his son, king in his place. Now, I had to stop right there. Quite often when we read the Bible, we read through passages so fast. And we read through and and we almost forget the human element of pain and frustration and hurt that happens in those one or two verses. So here's what I began to do. We found out earlier that Josiah began to reign at eight years old. So think about his home and think about who he is at this moment. He's eight years old. His dad is ruthless. Nobody likes him. He's killing people in the streets, innocent people. His grandfather is known for filling Jerusalem with the blood of innocent people. And Josiah is eight years old. He's heard the stories. And at eight years old, his dad is so unliked and hated with such passion that there's a conspiracy against the king and the servants rise up and they kill the king, his dad in his home. Can you imagine the murder of your dad while you were there? Eight years old. Now think about it. And then right after that, as the country goes into a tailspin. What should we do? How should we act? What are we going to do? They killed the servants that conspired against the king. And so there's death all around the house. And after that, then they come and they take an eight-year-old boy and they make him king. Hello, who wants to follow an eight-year-old? There's not a chance. Can you imagine? I have have a a, a nine-year-old daughter and then I have a seven-year-old, so I don't have an eight-year-old right now but there's not a chance that I would want to follow them. I love them, but holy cow. You know what we'd have? We'd have, we'd have um, angry birds anytime we wanted to play it. We'd have Temple Run all the time. I mean, we'd have video games everywhere. We'd end up sports all the time, no school, and we'd have all the, I mean, ice cream. Well, we already have a lot of ice cream. Never mind, that's for me. I love ice cream. So we would, I mean, it would just be, it'd be crazy, wouldn't it? So, He's eight years old, and here's the question. How does he go from eight years old, having a a, a terrible dad, a dad who's dysfunctional in every way of dysfunction, whose grandfather was even worse, how do you deal with a kid who's now eight years old, and then you read the sentence that we just got through reading that sums up Josiah's life, that it says that he loved God. 
And he turned to God with his entire heart. How do you get there? Because here's what I know. I've been around people long enough to understand this, that the majority of people do not break the cycles of sin in their family. Rewind. That was good. The majority of people do not ever break the cycles of sin in their family's history. They continue to stay in it. Here's what else I know. After going to some of the juvenile detention centers and facilities with Don Smarto, after going into prisons to minister, you talk to them, the majority of juveniles in prison detention centers now, the reason they're there, one of the main factors is this. They will say over and over again, it's because they do not have a father present in the home. And here's what you have. You have a kid who's now eight years old. His dad's been murdered. And I got a question. The Lord just hit me. How does he move from that junk into being a godly man? Because the majority of people don't ever make that change. And he makes a radical shift. Some would say that maybe it's because his mother. You see his mother listed, and a lot of times they wouldn't even list the mother. Some have suggested that the mother, when, when he's eight years old, he's announced king, she steps into the place until he's able to actually make the decisions. So maybe it was her influence. Others have said that she was so impactful into Josiah's life that maybe Josiah just wanted to make sure she was named because she made such an impact on his life. I don't know what the answer is, but I do know this. Something happens. And if you have your bulletins, I'm going to give you four points today. If you open it up, I'm going to give you these four points so that way you can keep track and you can walk through this in your own life. But here's the first step I know. In order to actually move beyond, to move beyond your personal hurt, the very first step is this. You have to make a choice to not be a victim. To not be a victim. Bad things are going to happen. Well, if you don't understand what happened, I hear you, but bad things are going to happen. And you have to make a choice to not be a victim. Is it okay to be sad? Sure. Is it okay to be in the moment to actually have the frustrations and and walk through the pain? Yes. But there has to be a point. There will come a point in which you make a choice. And I don't know when Josiah makes the choice. I don't know if it was at 10. I don't know if it was at 16. I don't know if it was 18. But there's some point in his life early in his life, that Josiah says, I am not a victim, and I will not stay marked by this. Quite often, we want to stay marked by our tragedy, don't we? We have bad things happen. And we, as a victim, you get sympathy. You get empathy. People are generous to you. And and you, as the tragedy continues, and as the pain begins to get longer and longer, it's easy to stay in the mold of being helped by others. And we just stay there and we stay a victim and we almost become like Eeyore. Do you remember Eeyore off of uh, Winnie the Pooh? Oh, um, I guess I'll eat today. And they ask him, Eeyore, how was last night? Did you sleep well? Well, I guess it was okay. Could have used more sleep. That's just part of it. Have you ever met Eeyore people? I mean, you ask them, it could have been the best day possible, and you're just smiling, and you're having a great day, and then, boom, you run into them. Oh, man. And you're deflated the rest of the afternoon. You're like, man. And they they just talk of tragedy and tragedy, and maybe it's been five years ago, but they're still dealing with the tragedy and still staying there. 
And there has to be a point when you begin to understand that it's either you're going to be a victim or a victor, but you can't be both. You can't do both. Victim or victor. And here's, here's the beauty. You ready? Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again. Not so that you stay the victim, but that so that you can actually be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Whoa, it almost sounds like you're going prosperity gospel on me. Sometimes for some of us as Baptists, we get so far away from the verses that says you don't have to stay in the pain. You are more than conquerors. Do you remember the verse that it says this? That greater is he that's within you than he that's in the world. Maybe some of us need to begin to embrace that for just a moment to say, I don't have to stay in this pain. I need to go beyond it. I am not a victim because Christ didn't die to leave me as a victim, but to become a victor. Oh man, that right there, that might be enough for some of you. You're like, I'm tired. I'm done. I shouldn't stay here. But for some of you, you're going, ah, that didn't help that much. Great. I'm glad you said that. So let's go to the next part. All right. Number two, as I read Josiah's story, in verse one, it says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he did what was right in verse two. He did what was right in the eyes of, his Lord, of, of the Lord, and he walked in all the ways of David. Why does it say David, his father? Why doesn't it say Amon? Well, his dad was a jerk. His dad was bad. His dad was evil, right? And it, look what it does. It skips generation after generation after generation until Josiah finds what? a godly example. Isn't that interesting? Here's what I want to show you. Ready? To go beyond. Here's your second point. To go beyond. There has to be a point when you begin to realize that God can create good out of the pain that you're experiencing. That God can create good. How in the world did an eight-year-old boy begin to move beyond? At some point, he begins to say, okay, I don't have a mentor. I don't have an eight-year-old. As an eight-year-old, my dad's gone. I don't have a mentor. And maybe, maybe God worked that to his good so that he had to go searching for a mentor and he found a godly example in his past. Some of you need to begin to embrace this one simple thought that God can create good out of the pain you're experiencing out of the pain that you've gone through, out of the personal hurt that you've just experienced. God can do great things through it. Do you remember this passage, Romans 8? It says that, for God is working all things to the good. you remember that? God is working all things to the good for those who what? Sit up there. Okay. For those who, who, who love him, who are called. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, The amazing thing is this, that God promises to turn the bad into good. Now, does he say that everything's going to be good for you if you're a Christian? Does he say that? Doesn't say that, right? Doesn't say everything's going to be, man, a bed of roses. If you're a Christian, everything's going to be good. It doesn't say that. But he says this, if you're called, if you've been saved, if you trusted Jesus Christ, then God will work the bad and make something good out of it. We don't really believe that quite often because this is why we stay mad, 
bitter and angry at God. We step back and say, God, you should have never allowed that to happen. You should have never done that to me. You shouldn't have allowed my spouse to walk out. You shouldn't have allowed my dad to beat me. You shouldn't have allowed me to be raped. You shouldn't have allowed me. And we want to go so mad and we get so bitter towards everybody and God. And we say, God, you weren't there for me. Where were you? But God says this. If you'll turn to me, I'll take the bad and I'll bring something good out of it. Remember Job, that Old Testament story? Nobody wants to be like him, right? He was a guy who lost everything, his finances, his job, his business that he created. He lost 10 kids gone. And what's he say? Nobody would say it was good. Nobody would say those were good things that happened. But here's what he did say. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And then he says something profound. He says, blessed be the name of the, why? Because God says, I will work good. I can work good in the midst of your pain. This world has fallen. But in the midst of this, here's what God is wanting to do in the midst of your pain. You ready? One of the very first things you understand, part of the good is that God is wanting to help you understand to quit being dependent on everything else that you only need him and him alone. You see, we get more tied to the blessings and the things that God gives us instead of being tied to our father who gives the blessings. And part of the pain is removing the things that we trust in so that we begin to trust him more. One of the good things that God is doing is he's wanting to reveal himself at a whole new level for you in the midst of your pain. And you would not go after it unless first you were in the pain. One of the other things that God does is this. You ready? There is no greater witness than a Christian who's in pain or who has gone through pain who can still give God glory for the pain. God begins to create a light that shines because here's what happens. Because we all go through pain, whether it's cancer, whether it's just, uh, just junk, you, just, you start naming whatever it is in your life, the personal pain. And when there's a Christian who actually trusts God and says, God is going to do something, even if I die, God is wanting to work something great for his good and for his glory. You find a witness because people don't even understand a faith that works in pain. Most of us would rather gripe about the pain, wouldn't we? Let me show you number three. Number three, now I'm going to move into some very practical helps. Josiah's story stops there, and I can't bring much else out of it. I don't know where he moves. I don't know how he moves. I don't know what his steps are. I wish we would have received more. But because we don't have more, here's what I do know. There are other passages in the Bible that help us walk through pain and how to go beyond. So let me show you those. So I'm going to move into some very practical helps to help you understand. So the first, the next part is this. Number three, going beyond your personal hurts requires, requires that you and I Use the Holy Spirit's power to act right. To act right. You're hurt, and your natural response is to get even, to get revenge, to hurt them back, to make sure that they don't ever do that to you again. But as you begin to look at the scriptures, you're given some very strong words on how to move forward, how to act right. What are some of those things that you need to do to act right? First of all, one of the things that's going to require the Holy Spirit's power is confrontation. When you've been hurt, Matthew 18 says what? We are to confront. Here's what the Bible says. If you, your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault 
between you and him alone. Confrontation. For some of us, we can't stand confrontation. You run from confrontation. You're like, there's no way I want to confront. But if you've been hurt, the Bible says, instead of going around and telling everybody else how bad they are, instead of going to work, sir, and telling everybody what a bad wife you have, instead of, ma'am, going to work and, and sharing with everybody how your husband constantly screws up, it actually says, go to them, confront them personally, instead of gossiping and sharing it with everybody else. Confrontation. So if we're going to act right, we need the Holy Spirit's power. He, come on, let's be honest. I don't feel like acting right. I feel like revenge. I feel like making them suffer. You ever been there? I feel like not just acting right. I feel like making sure everybody else knows how bad they are. And here's what I want to make sure you, you hear. You ready? Right actions trigger right feelings. Your heart always follows your actions. That's why Jesus commands us to love. Well, you can't command somebody to love. I, you just fall into love or you fall out of love, right? But no, Jesus commands. He says, love one another. He, it's a command. Why? Because your heart always follows your actions. You start doing the actions long enough, you'll start following with your heart. You'll start having the feeling. So the question is not whether you or I want to do the right things, the question becomes, will we? Confrontation. Let me give you number two. Ready? So if we're going to have right actions, there's another right action. Pray for those who hurt you. Pray for those who hurt you. Matthew 5, 43. You have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, this is Jesus, love your enemies and pray for those who what? Persecute you, hurt you. All right, let's talk. You ready? Prayer. Have you ever really been hurt and you tried to pray for your enemy? Have you tried that? Okay, let me just kind of walk you through my emotions. Here's how it works. Usually, okay, God, I don't want to pray for them. So I tell God that. And after that, it takes us, it, take, it could take a while. It might take a couple of weeks. Just God, I can't really pray for them. I don't know how to pray for them. So, uh. and then there's a point that I turn and I, it ends up going to this. God, you know, so-and-so, I hate them. Yep, I hate them. I, I still can't stand them. They've hurt me. But you told me to pray for them, so here I am praying for them. I pray for, and you say the name, and that's it. Now, it sounds extremely shallow, doesn't it? But let me just keep walking you through the emotions. So I, I walk through that, and I, okay, I'm praying for so-and-so. I pray for so-and-so, and I call their name. But there's nothing else to pray for. And then there's usually some moments in there that every once in a while my thoughts slip to this. God, you know how they hurt me. I really hope that sometime maybe they get into a car wreck this week. Have you ever thought that? Or lightning. Okay, maybe just lightning. That would be more fun. Because it makes sure, God, I pray for pain in their life. Pain somehow. I pray that they would know. And then you move it to this. I pray that they would know that they hurt me. <laughs> I pray that, God, just, I hope that they start feeling really bad about what they've done to me. And you walk through that, and then there's this moment where you go, okay, um, all right, God, I know I'm supposed to pray, and you walk through that, and then you get to a point where you maybe read something like this passage, and it says that you're supposed to pray for them, and then you get to a passage like Jesus on the cross. You remember Jesus on the cross? People are hurting him. He's being crucified. 
And how does he pray? Do you remember? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And then the Holy Spirit begins to work as you're praying for that person and you begin to realize that maybe the reason they hurt me was because they're hurting, because hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And if hurt people hurt people, then God, maybe there's something going on in their life. So God, I'm praying for them. They're hurting in some way. So God, I'm praying that you would show up and you start working in their life. And then you start asking God to just make himself known. And here's what happens when you pray. Jesus prayed for, while he's on the cross, he prayed for the people. Did it change them immediately? Did it stop the cross? It didn't stop the cross, did it? Here's why you pray for people. You don't pray for people to change them. You pray and God changes you. You pray and God changes you. It's not about changing them. Because quite often what we want to do is we want to change them through our prayers. And God is wanting to change us through our prayers. And so we are to pray. And then the next action Remember, I said this is in, your whole, in the Holy Spirit's power, not in your power. Here's the next action. Here's what it says. You ready? Return good for evil. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Do not repay evil for evil or rivaling for rivaling, but on the contrary, bless. Yeah, right. If they hurt you, I mean, and they're talking serious hurt. They hurt you? There's no chance that you're going to actually bless them to look for right actions, to say, okay, God, in your power, I can't do this because I can't stand them. They've hurt me too bad. Here's what he's asking you to do, to look for ways in which you begin to bless. It could be a simple word, yes or no. It could be something just kind. It could actually be a bigger step. Man, there's so many different options we could walk through. We could walk through how that, when you've been, you're in the midst of being deeply hurt, but somehow, some way, if you rest in your own power, you will curse and you will hurt and you'll, you'll vomit out explosive words. But in the midst of the pain, you're called to right actions, which means that you bless instead of curse. And you won't be able to do it unless the Holy Spirit works. Your last action is this. The last action is so big that I need to give it just an entire point itself because if you're going to move beyond, if you're going to move beyond your personal hurts, you're going to have to use this word. Forgiveness will have to become a, a it's a foundation for moving beyond. It's, it's a, the root of how we walk through it. So how do you forgive? Let's talk about forgiveness for just a moment just to make sure you understand what forgiveness is. I could do an entire message, even a series on forgiveness, but I'm going to wrap it very quickly the first thing is we talk about forgiveness. The question becomes, why should I forgive? Have you ever been there? Why should I forgive? Why should I forgive somebody who's hurt me so bad? Why? Let me give you two reasons for why you should forgive. Because it hurts you. When you let unforgiveness reign in your life and in your heart and in your soul, it hurts you. Hebrews 12 verse 15 says this, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. Do you see this? The root of bitterness. You've seen trees out in, the, out in your yard and you know whatever's on the top of the ground is actually reproduced underneath the ground, especially if it's gonna have a strong root system to survive the storms. 
you can hang on to the bitterness and you can push it down and you can act like it doesn't, is, the hurt has not been there. It's not even present, not impacting you. And then here's what happens. Because the root continues to grow and you don't actually extract it and you don't get it right and you don't forgive. You're driving along and all of a sudden you see them driving and they're at the corner of the stoplight or stop sign and you're there and all of a sudden, boom, your rage begins to come out live and you're so mad at them. And there's, it's, been, it's been a year, it's been two years. And you see them and all of a sudden it just explodes. Why? Because the root of bitterness is growing deep inside you. Everybody else can't see it, but it's there. You're, you're talking with somebody and as you interact with them, as you're interacting, all of a sudden your spouse or your kids, they say something. And as they say something, all of a sudden it sparks. And all the, it just brings up all the emotions from the past. And it's a past hurt from somebody else. And you go, and it now begins to impact other relationships. It hurts you when you allow unforgiveness. You can be bitter or you can be better, but you can't be both. You can't be both. It hurts you. Number two, here's why you should forgive. You ready? You should forgive because you need forgiveness. Matthew chapter six, this is the Lord's prayer. I wish Jesus wouldn't have put it in the Lord's prayer. It'd be easier to forget this part. But in the model prayer that Jesus is praying, he's teaching the disciples how to pray. He comes to this point and he says, for, for if you forgive others, their sins, their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you your trespasses. I wish he wouldn't have said that. Because I want, I want forgiveness. I want God's mercy. I'll be real honest. I want God's mercy. I know I don't deserve it, but I'm so glad he gives it to me. But I really don't want the person who hurt me to have forgiveness. And do you see how the forgiveness is tied with how God forgives me? Do you see that? If it would have been anybody else, I could have said their theology might've been messed up. If it would have been Paul or if it would have been anybody else, but this is Jesus speaking. I wish Jesus wouldn't have said that because now it pushes us to the fact that I need forgiveness. And if I need forgiveness and I want forgiveness, I must be willing to what? Give forgiveness. Okay, so if I'm supposed to forgive, how do I forgive? Here's two ways you forgive, two demonstrations. You forgive first as you've been forgiven. Colossians chapter three and verse 13. You forgive the way you've been forgiven. How have you been forgiven? Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has what? How has the Lord forgiven you? Did he do it with just one part? Do you say, I'll forgive that action, but I won't forgive this action? He doesn't, does he? He completely forgives. Completely. Everything. Sometimes, my wife's in here today. She, I, sometimes I, can, I like to forgive her for parts of what she does wrong to me. But there's other things I just want to hang on to. And I just want to make her suffer and I want to make her pay because she's hurt me so bad, right? Now, Let's be real honest. How bad is it? We have a good marriage. We have a good relationship. And there's also times where it comes back to me, right? And what I have to understand is this. As it gets bigger and bigger, and as you begin to talk about deeper and bigger personal issues and personal hurts, you are to forgive completely. And this is where the pushback comes. Heath, come on. 
you know, you're talking about the marriage. You have, you and Jamie, obviously you have a decent marriage. I'm talking about, I was abused and I'm supposed to forgive my abuser. I was raped. You're supposed to forgive them. Are you serious? My husband walked out on me. Are you kidding me? He left me to take care of all the kids. He's not paying Jack. He's a jerk. Seriously, I'm supposed to forgive? There's so much pain, and I hear you, and I, you can't do this on your own. God forgave you, and in turn, you're supposed to forgive others. And you're supposed to forgive as you've been forgiven, and that's completely. Let me show you one more on forgiveness. You ready? This last one talks about forgiving constantly. There was a man who came to Jesus and asked Jesus, Jesus, how, how, how many times am I supposed to forgive? You remember the story? And in Matthew 18, verse 22, he asked Jesus, he, he comes to Jesus, and he says, he feels like he's doing well. He says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? Let's be honest. If you forgive somebody one time, don't you feel pretty good about yourself? I do. I feel like I'm a pretty good guy. Hey, I forgave you. Take that. Two times, oh no. Three times, shame on me. There's no way I'm forgiving you again. You're not hurting me again. You're going to keep people at a distance. No way. So to say seven times, you think you're doing really well. And Jesus says, no, not seven times, but you remember what it is? Seven times what? To forgive, to forgive, to forgive. Now, let me make sure I'm very, I want to help and I want to make sure we don't take this wrong. If you're in a situation where you're being abused, get out. It doesn't mean that you keep forgiving and you keep getting abused. Get out and then you forgive at a distance. Did you hear that? You forgive at a distance, but you get out. You don't stay in the place where you're consistently getting hurt. Forgive and get out. And then you tell me, because I, I know some guys in our church who have just recently been saved, and they, they'll do anything the pastor says for 100 bucks, and we'll take care of them, all right? <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. No, I'm not joking. I'm for real. You let me know. Let me just, uh, we had a lady in, in uh, the last church I pastored and um, her husband, he did mixed martial arts. So that means that he fought in these places downtown Dallas and he was really good. He was big. All right. And um, his wife came in one Sunday. She had a big black eye. Oh man, I was fired up. I was ready to take him out, but I obviously couldn't. So I went and got the bigger guys in church. Right. And I said, guys, we're going to have to have this conversation. I don't know what happened, but Man, you can't, you can't just walk away with a big black eye. You've seen punches before. You know a black eye, there's a punch. She didn't get that from falling down the stairs. So here we go. I said, guys, after church, we're going to talk to this guy, right? So here we are. We're, we're going to talk. And I asked the lady, I pulled her aside. I said, are you okay? She said, yeah, I'm fine. I said, no, really. Did, how did you get the black eye? Did you get hit? So I'm, I'm like all geared up. The whole message, I'm geared up, right? For We're going to have some fun. This guy's going to be able to take everybody out. But, you know, hey, in Decatur, everybody has guns. So I'm thinking the gun can beat martial arts. <laughs> and so, so I'm, I'm, I'm just betting on that. I'm, I'm banking on it. So here we are. And so what happens is she goes, no, I got this in a fight. What do you mean a fight? She said, well, I'm, I'm doing mixed martial arts too. So she could have kicked my tail too, I guess. <laughs> so she was in one of those arenas and she was fighting herself. So anyway, I'm telling you, I, I, I'm saying this, but I want to encourage you. Don't stay in a relationship where you're getting hit and getting abused, but you still have to forgive. It has to be completely. 
And it has to be for all the times that you've been hit, all the times you've been hurt. And it goes through everything else that we're talking about. So here's where we want to wrap up. There's some in this room, for some of you, you need to say, you know what? I'm no longer going to be a victim. I'm going to get out of this. I'm no longer going to be the Eeyore. And from here on, and the Holy Spirit's power, I'm moving forward. I'm moving beyond my personal hurts. I'm not going to let it define me anymore. I'm going to become who God has called me to be. That's some of you right now. For some of you, for some, this is where you need to go. You know God's calling you to forgive. You're no, you know God's calling you to right actions. And you know some of the actions that you need to take. And right now, God is calling you this week to get those things right. Not to wait around, not to let the bitter root keep growing, but to get it right. And that's where some of you need to be. 